Leadership, and we are tonight um, sponsoring tonight's first, very first class of Explorer and Lord of the Rings. I'm so excited. Yes, huzzah and hymenu to you too. This is great. Thank you, everybody, for being here, and I, I know we've got folks on Twitch as well. I can't see you guys, but um, this is such an exciting night. Oh, Signum, you start, keep flying. Don't, don't fight me. We started about two and a half years ago when um, when those of us at Signum entered Lotro. We started the kinship, and our goal is to be to you know be a, a lore kinship, not the lore kinship, but a lore kinship, a lore rich kinship on Landerval. Um, lots and lots of kinnies are here. We are always welcoming new members all the time. You can talk to any of the Mythgard members or talk to me, and we're happy to, to welcome you to Mythgard. So, without any further ado, I want to introduce to you our lore master from Gondor, also known as Corey Olson, and a personal friend of mine, <laughs> Corey Olson. All right, thanks very much, uh, Trish, for the introduction. Thanks, everybody, for coming. This is so exciting seeing everybody here. Um, as you guys have probably heard, um, we have a we have a new in-game lore hall that has been constructed for this class. Unfortunately, there was not an update in time. So the next time there is an update, it will be installed, and it should be over right here to my left, uh, right here in this courtyard. So this will be the entrance point uh, to the new lore hall that they made for us, which should be a lot of fun. Um, in the meantime, we'll just hang out here in the courtyard uh, next to the cat lady and uh, hope that we don't bother her cats too very much. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. So let me start off here at the beginning first, uh, and I, I hope you all bear with me. Um, just kind of giving an in introduction to sort of the, the, the technicalities of how to proceed and how this is going to go. First off, let me just say, this is really an experiment. Um, we've never done this before. Uh, in fact, I don't know that anybody... In fact, I know for a fact nobody's ever done this before because Signum University is the only university with a Twitch channel, and so trying to do a class, an interactive discussion, not just through Twitch, but in-game as well, uh, we're, we have a lot of balls in the air here. So I hope that you will bear in mind uh, that we're just sort of trying this out and be a little bit patient with us. Let me explain... Um, exactly sort of how this is going to work here. So those of you who are here with me in game, uh, we'll be hanging out here in game. I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to talk about the books, of course. I will have uh, some text from, uh, I have slides like I usually do when I teach. I always like to do close reading of the text. So I have a bunch of passages uh, from the book, uh, from chapter one, Long Expected Party, that we're going to be talking about today. Um, and I'm going to put those on my screen. So even if you're in game with me, you'll want to monitor the Twitch channel so that you can see the passages that I'm putting up on screen. So that way we can be looking at the same thing. If you have your copy of the book with it, with you, you're, 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 you know, of course, welcome to follow along, but it'll be easier to find them if you, uh, if you put them up, if you, if you just have them there on the Twitch channel. Um, so through Twitch, you can get, uh, me visually, you can see me. Uh, down here in the corner, and you can hear me through Twitch as well, uh, and you'll be able to see the passages that I'm doing. That video is going to be recorded and posted to YouTube, and the audio uh, will also be um, posted as well. Okay, so second thing then. Um, uh, the, so, okay, the, the second thing is if you want to participate in the class, um, and let me uh, 
for the benefit of the people on Twitch, let me let me show this on my on my screen as well. Um, for, if you want to participate in class discussion, I really strongly encourage that, and I welcome that. And any questions that you have, of course, as we're going along, often when I'm talking about passages, I'll ask you guys questions and be interested to hear you know what kinds of things you notice when we're talking about uh, you know, when we're talking about one of the passages from the text. So, um, so here's the trick. Twitch, of course, has that nice chat window, which is awesome, and it's a lot of fun. Um, but I am not going to be able to use that very effectively because that chat window is like the place for everybody to chat to each other as well. And there's a lot of people, and comments get washed down the stream so fast that I have a hard time uh, following them a, a, a lot uh, as, as they get going. Um, so here's what we're doing. Um, we're using... For people who want to participate in class, and again, don't forget, if you're on twitch.tv slash signumu, you can just sit back and watch and listen and 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 get everything in the class. It's totally fine. But um, the easiest way for you to participate is to go to our Discord channel. Now, uh, most of you should. We have we uh, we have it up here um, on the uh, Twitch channel. So Trish, if you could post the link, the Discord link there into the Twitch chat, um, then we can make sure to have it there again. Um, go to Discord. Again, let me, let, me, let me show you what this looks like. So hang on. Here we go. On my screen. So here's our Twitch channel, right? So here's the chat that you can participate in if you want to chat with other people, and you're always welcome to do that. If you go to the Discord link, the Discord is a separate site, a separate interface um, that allows for both audio and text interface. So if you follow the link that Trish is posting, it will take us to the lore hall questions for Corey. That's where we are. And so what I would like is for in this, in this space here, just don't type anything to each other. Just type, this is just for me. Okay. So I will be monitoring this constantly. So I'll be able to, and you'll, you'll see as we start going through, um, how I always like doing that. I always like, uh, you know, tracking along with your observations and your comments and your questions. Uh, I, I like for book discussions to be as interactive as possible. So, uh, um, <laughs> so, but JJ, I'm not going to answer that question. Uh, so yeah, so that's the place where you go to post questions that I will get and see the Twitch chat is where you can just talk amongst yourselves, uh, to each other. Okay. And then the third place to the third place for you to know about, um, is for asynchronous questions. So if you're watching the recording of this afterwards, or if you're listening to this on the podcast stream, um, on Mythgard.org, if you go to the events tab, exploring the Lord of the Rings is the first element uh, on that menu there. Um, and on that page is a link to the discussion board. This is the Mythgard on Lotro discussion board. And if you click, click down here on exploring the Lord of the Rings online, this gives you places where you can uh, post. Now the questions for Narnian uh, section is the one in particular, where if, so again, if you're listening to the class or watching it asynchronously, right? Maybe you're doing this in, uh, tomorrow, maybe you're doing this next month, or maybe it's 2027 and you're listening to this, um, then you can post that. I can't promise that I'll still be monitoring it in 2027, but in any case, I, sh we sh I should be monitoring this now. Uh, so just post something in questions for Narnia and, and I'll try either to interact with you there or integrate it uh, later on. So uh, so that's how that will work asynchronously. So again, Twitch for watching and listening uh, live. Lore Hall questions for Corey on Discord here for typing things that I can see. And then uh, the discussion board here for, uh, uh, for questions for Narnion for posting questions asynchronously uh, after the fact. Okay, is that, is that clear? 
is everybody okay? Now, if you want to, if you do want to participate in the field trip at the end of class, so we're going to have book discussion for about an hour, hour and a half, and then we're going to go on a field trip. Our field trip today will be to Hobbiton primarily. Um, and uh, we're going to see some of the things and uh, talk to some of the characters and, and look at some of the ways in which the story elements that we were talking about, uh, that we'll be talking about today, are integrated um, uh, uh, into the uh, into the, the the game world in Lord of the Rings Online. Um, so, of course, obviously, you guys are welcome to hang out and then come with me on the field trip. For those of you who are very low level or don't have any idea what you're doing, which I know there are several of you in that situation, many of you have just started characters. Um, if you don't know how to get to Hobbiton and you don't know what's going on, um, uh, uh, Maven is going to be leading uh, uh, a. Uh, 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 conclave over there again the 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 my little ginger haired assistant over here where did she go there she is over there um you can uh you can talk to her and she'll help you uh to figure out what's going on by the way you see so you can see it on the twitch channel you see my eagle my my so that's a kind of a joke that i'm giving a lore talk while having an eagle flapping above my head in the game because of course as you can see on the twitch channel I have an eagle on this banner that hovers right above my head. And ha- every time I've taught a class for like the last three years, um, I I'm here like with this golden halo of the seal of Signum behind my head and the little, uh, and the little eagle, uh, right up above my left temple. Um, so I, I just, it was kind of a little inside joke that in the game, I actually have an eagle whose name is Signum U floating up above my head. Um, anyway. Okay. So are we ready? Are we ready to, are we ready to begin? I'm excited. Okay. So let's see if, um, let's see if we can, let's see if we can make all of this happen. So, all right. Um, I want to start off today looking at Hobbit culture. So the Fellowship of the Ring, first of all, um, many of you probably know that I'm quite a completionist. I love to start things at the beginning and work my way all the way through to the end. And so you may be perhaps puzzled why it is that I didn't start with the preface and the prologue and the foreword and all those things. Why are we skipping all this stuff at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring? Don't worry, we're not going to skip it. Um, But I wanted to start at the beginning. And the beginning of the Lord of the Rings really is chapter one. Um, I I say that because, of course, the prologue and the preface and the the foreword, all those things um, were written afterwards, some of them significantly after the rest of the book was written. So I want to come back and I want to do those at the end. Um, not so much at the beginning. After we finish, um, you know, so when we get to the Grey Havens, which goodness knows how long that's going to take us, because we're totally, I I have no aspirations, by the way, to get through chapter one in less than two weeks. I have two weeks planned, and we'll see what happens. And I will say, by the way, that, um, you know, in my other classes, like in the Mythgard Academy classes that I do, I have a schedule, and I try to, you know, I try to to generally stick to the schedule. um, And, uh, I, but I'm I'm not I don't have a schedule and I'm not even going to attempt to stick to it in this in this class. So the the whole goal of this is I want to talk my way through the Lord of the Rings and I want to take my time. I want to take as long as it takes um, to talk about everything that I want to talk about. I've never ever been able to be like 
perfectly indulgent, uh, you know, self. And I've always been like had a semester schedule or something that I had to adhere to or whatever. But I have. Yeah, no way. This is just going to be this is completely open ended. So uh, so I'm, I'm really I'm really psyched for that. Um, so in the Mythgard Academy classes, people always tease me that I don't make it through all the slides that I, you know, plan to get through. But it, see, here it totally doesn't matter because uh, I can take however long I want. So, OK, um, so we're going to it'll take us a while to get to the Grey Havens. When after we get to the Grey Havens, <clears throat> we'll go back and do the prologue and the prefatory material. And then we'll go forward and do the appendices as well after that. So I just wanted to tell you that's how it's going to go in the uh uh, in the in the flow of things, and Veronica, exactly as you were just uh, exactly as you were just uh, mentioning, that's exactly what the first thing I wanted to start with about chapter one. Veronica was just saying that um, it's you know because chapter one is the transition between the two books, since the Lord of the Rings is supposed to have been a sequel to the Hobbit, absolutely, and that's that is of course where we begin. That's where Tolkien began. Um, and let me, by the way, on that subject, give a tiny little plug. Uh, if you want to completely overdose on the Fellowship of the Ring uh, in January, you have the opportunity to do that. Uh, the Mythgard Academy, which I don't know if you know about the Mythgard Academy, but it's the other series of, of, of book discussions that I do, also free on Wednesday nights. We are doing The Return of the Shadow. So we're doing, this is the manuscript history. It's a sort of documentation of the manuscript history and the development of the Fellowship of the Ring story. Um, so we're working our way through. We've uh, not quite gotten to Farmer Maggot uh, in that. In fact, we're going to go back and look at uh, Chapter 2 and the growth of the story and how he, for having, uh, in the last class, which was right before Christmas, um, we talked about basically the moment when the ring first occurs to Tolkien as the, the idea of sort of the germ of the new story that he's writing. And now, tomorrow night, we're going to be going back and looking at his first his first attempt at chapter two, basically, uh, when he begins to give the background to the ring and to work that into the whole story. Um, so if you want to follow along with that class too, as I said, you can completely OD on the Fellowship of the Ring this month. Um, but in the Return of the Shadow class, uh, we, we spent, a, well, I thought of that because we spent a lot of time looking at those very early drafts of chapter one of the long expected party. And this, that, that was the seed. That was where the whole thing started when he was challenged or requested or, dared or begged by his publishers to write a sequel to the Hobbit. Um, you know, his, 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 where he started, what, what he came up with was the long expected party. The idea that Bilbo has this birthday party and he, uh, he disappears at it and, uh, and then leaves the presents for people in his hole with like the snarky labels and things. That was, uh, that was the initial concept that he began the idea of a sequel with, even before he had any idea of a plot to follow it. Like, he, he clearly had the faintest idea where Bilbo went after he vanished, you know, when he leaves the Shire, and nobody knows uh, where he went. Even Tolkien doesn't have any idea where he, where he went. So, um, but again, that was, that was really the core idea. And I want to start there, because... Here's another thing that's real. That's a really important challenge, and that I want to kind of challenge us to do. <laughs> you know, I have to say, teaching a class within the Lotro context uh, are there are definitely things that are different than, from a normal classroom, like the involuntary dancing of everyone in the class spontaneously. Um, that doesn't usually happen in most classroom environments I've ever been in, but it's fun. Um, uh oh, a pestilence just broke out. <laughs> Fun with involuntary emotes. Um, uh, anyway, so, um, 
so here's the uh, here's the here's the here's here's the thing that I want to challenge you guys with as we begin, as we approach the Lord of the Rings. Try to stay within the frame of what we know in the chapters that we're reading. Okay, I don't mean what we know about um, uh, you know about the. Um, the history, like I'm not talking about the Return of the Shadow stuff. That's really interesting. I'm going to try not to talk about that stuff too much because it's um, uh, it's it's a different class and it's not what we're here to talk about. We're going to be talking about the published Fellowship of the Ring. Um, but one temptation that uh, that that uh, it's easy to experience when talking about the Lord of the Rings is jumping forward to be thinking about the other parts of the story. Now, it's relevant, of course. Um, but I want to try to think not about what we're going to learn later, but about what we're being told here. Um, and the, the, the primary thing I want to focus on today is the Shire, is hobbits um, and Shire culture. Okay, Because uh, this is something that I think it's easy to kind of make assumptions about, which aren't all really necessarily true. Right. So let's look, let's try to take an objective look at what we learn about hobbits and what we learn about the Shire uh, from chapter one. Okay. And the, there are a couple of things I want to hit on. I want to look at a few things about the party. Right. What do we learn about the party? Again, especially knowing that this was really kind of the core of, um, of, of chapter one, the core of the whole thing, right? When Tolkien began it. Um, and the, the, and, and then the second thing, after we look at the party, I want to go to the conversation between Gaffer Gamgee and Sandyman and Daddy Two Foot, um, down at the Ivy Bush. Um, because that I think is a very interesting and revealing conversation. It tells us a lot about the hobbits and about Shire culture. Um, so we'll see if we get further than that. Probably not. Uh, but that's okay. So let's, um, let's, let's begin. Um, I want to look at a few passages here. Let's see, where are my passages? Passage one. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I, I, my overall title for this class uh, was Return to the Shire, um, because to me that's one of the really interesting challenges at the beginning of The Fellowship of the Ring, when Tolkien sits down and says, okay, where is this place? Um, the Shire wasn't even really necessarily in the in the opening draft. So it wasn't even officially the name of the place. Um, he didn't really have a name for it, um, and he didn't really have it sort of worked out. It's really easy to kind of project backwards to the Hobbit what we know from the Lord of the Rings or what we come to know by the end of the Lord of the Rings. Um, but of course, there's almost there's very very little said about Hobbits or Hobbit culture other than in the very first chapter of the Hobbit, and mostly it's just background. Um, you know, we know that Bilbo has the whole Took and Baggins thing going on in his his own makeup, right, from his parentage. And the 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 um, the struggle or tension, at least, between those two sides of Bilbo is a major feature of of The Hobbit, of course. The Hobbit society what we're told about the Hobbit society is really just a kind of dramatic backdrop to that internal uh, psychological issue of Bilbo's, right? We're told that like the majority of the Hobbit culture is essentially Baggins-ish, right? Um, They respect the Bagginses because, you know, Bilbo as a Baggins does the kind of thing that they approve of, right? He's always predictable and all that, you know, he's respectable because he's predictable. There's the Took family, right? And although they're rich, they, they they're weird, 
right? Um, so they're they're in this uh, they're they're in this sort of strange subcategory of hobbits. We're told in the Hobbit again, they're not a marginalized one. They're I mean, if anything, they're an elite subgroup, but they're still a subgroup, right? They're still different, sort of set off by themselves. Um, now, but again, he doesn't really flesh out what the culture is really like. We, we know very little about, again, what we're told is really just as, as a kind of uh, frame, really. Um, all we get about hobbits in The Hobbit is basically like a portrait of Bilbo. And you can like kind of barely make out some things in the background behind him, right? But it's not really a picture of them. It's a picture of, of Bilbo. Um, so what do we get? In the, in, in the long-expected party, we, we are introduced to to hobbits and to their culture more than we, um, more than we ever are anywhere else really. Right. Um, so, so let's look at, let's look at how that works. Passage number one. Bilbo Baggins called it a party, but it was really a variety of entertainments rolled into one. By the way, I always read the passages aloud. When I am reading the passages aloud, I encourage you, any observations that you have of this specific passage that I'm reading, anything that jumps out at you as we're going through, um, go ahead and type that into the, into the comments there in Discord, and I'll, I'll, definitely, uh, I'll definitely see them. Um, but, it, but it was really a variety of entertainments rolled into one. Practically everybody living near was invited. A very few were overlooked by accident, but as they turned up all the same, that did not matter. Many people from other parts of the Shire were also asked, and there were even a few from outside the borders. Bilbo met the guests, and additions, at the new white gate in person. He gave away presents to all and sundry. The latter were those who went out again by a back way and came in again by the gate. Hobbits give presents to other people on their own birthdays, not very expensive ones as a rule, and not so lavishly as on this occasion, but it is not a bad system. Actually, in Hobbiton and Bywater, every day in the year was somebody's birthday, so that every hobbit in those parts had a fair chance of at least one present at least once a week. But they never got tired of them. Okay, what, uh, what do we learn? What do we see here? What do you notice? Um, what do you notice? Let's see, looking at some of the observations that you guys are making here. Um, Cool. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Freemorn says that uh, for some reason the phrase "new white gate" sticks out to me. It was built for the uh, f- for this occasion. Yeah, Freemorn, it is interesting, isn't it? Um, uh, there are a couple things that I think about that. On the one thing, of course, it shows you how elaborate you know the party preparations were. Also, the fact that there isn't a gate shows you that there wasn't a fence around the field, or there was no need for a gate. Um, it was just a field, right? Um, so it's been made into like a kind of enclosure. Why is there a gate, right? Why, why did Bilbo have a gate erected? Uh, it's obviously not for security purposes, right? The, you know, the, the, there isn't like a, a, a burly dwarf bouncer or something standing behind him. Um, so if not that, then what? What's it for? Um, and it seems clear that the gate was erected exactly for expressly for this purpose so that Bilbo could stand at it when all the guests come in and give them their presents. Right. Uh, and in fact, uh, uh, you know, I, I, Freemore, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't think about this before, but as soon as you pointed it out, this, uh, the phrase from, uh, from the, this, one of the poems in the, in the Hobbit came back to me, right? If you remember, 
um, the reprise version of the Far Over the Misty Mountains cold song uh, that the dwarves sing when they're actually in the Lonely Mountain, right after the death of Smaug. Um, and it's the version of the song that Bilbo does not like the sound of very much because it sounds much too, uh, uh, much too warlike, right? Um, but you remember that one of the stanzas of that poem ends with, um, and at the, for at the gate... The king awaits. His hands are rich with gems and gold. Uh, that image of the king under the mountain standing at the gate of his hall, right, uh, with his, his hands rich with gems and gold, uh, or maybe even jewels, J-O-O-L-S, right? Um, but anyway, he's, uh, that's, uh, that's the image that the dwarves have in their mind of like what a king should be, right? Standing at the gates uh, and giving generously to his faithful supporters. And of course, in The Hobbit, it's, it turns out to be heavily ironic, right? Because instead, what do we get? You know, Thorin at the gate, right? Thorin at the gate instead erects a wall which walls up the gates so that nobody can come in, right? And, uh, uh, and, and, and he refuses to even to give even a just portion of his treasure to anybody. Right. So he 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 uh, uh, completely goes away from that traditional idea of the king. But here's Bilbo. Right. Being very kingly in a sense. Right. In Hobbit scale. Right. He's not giving away gems and gold. Um, but um, but he's he's uh, uh, nevertheless acting in this beneficent fashion. But it, but again, it's not really just king-like, right? Um, That is to say, this is not I am distributing wealth to my supporters and people. This is a hobbit tradition, right? Hobbits give presents to other people on their own birthdays. This is is how how it's done, right? Though we are told, not very expensive ones as a rule and not so lavishly as on this occasion, right? Bilbo's generosity is much more extravagant than is at all customary. Um... So that seems to me, that seems to me important. Um, yeah, now, uh, JJ48 says, uh, hobbits like to get presents even if they don't seem to have any need for them. Um, yes, JJ, that is interesting, isn't it? I mean, that is, we're not told, are hobbits materialistic, right? Well, you know, maybe in some ways, but I don't think that's what we're getting here, right? If we come to this, say like, oh, they're all about me, 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 right? They're all about getting stuff. Um, that doesn't seem to be necessarily the way. Now, they're not totally non-materialistic, right? If they were, then nobody would sneak out around and come back for a second present, right? Uh, so clearly, like, there's at least some degree of present coveting going on here, especially once they see how lavish are the presents on that occasion, right? Um but um uh but 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 anyway they 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 do seem to like presence the idea of presence all by itself again it's not just like the presence are a means are a means to an end right i mean uh, it, i mean for instance um you know if if i uh giving christmas presents to my children right they like getting presents but what they really like is the stuff, right? That is, you know, my, uh, my, my, my son Matthias really likes his new 3DS. It's not just like, it's the idea of being given presents by my loving parents that counts. I'd like to think that, but it's totally not right. Um, he, he's just excited to have his 3DS. So, um, uh, anyway, that's, um, uh, 
that's the way that that does seem to be the way that they so they're not like my son they do seem to just really like uh getting presents and they are uh oh i don't know how to pronounce your name uh tekelvik yeah um Tekovic, you're right that hobbits are freeloaders. Uh, it says they love free food. They go for presents at all times. They'll sneak out and back in to get more. Uh, they think that if they find Bilbo's gold, they can keep it, uh, and they're happy to take his stuff. Yeah, they, 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 you know, this rumor that everything is being distributed free spreads like wildfire the next day, right? Um, yeah, this, and this is something that I think is important to notice about hobbits. I think that a lot of Tolkien fans have developed this kind of highly romanticized view of hobbits in the Shire. Hobbits are not totally upstanding people. Like, again, a lot of this, there's this kind of image of the Shire as this, like, perfect, harmonious place, and hobbits as, you know, this, like, you know, like the Shire is 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 like Eden, right? And the hobbits are are you know these like pure, you know, sinless little creatures. They're not. Um, they don't kill people, right? Uh, I mean, we're told that uh, uh, no one's you know Frodo makes that astonishing claim um, in uh, you know at the end of the 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 Return of the King that. Um, no hobbit has ever killed another hobbit on purpose in the Shire before. But that's, uh, you know, so, okay. So apparently there's no one's ever been convicted of murder. Um, <laughs> but at least Frodo doesn't think, doesn't think so. Um, but then again, there's no, um, uh, uh, th- there's no reason to just kind of generally extend that out. Um, that, you know, Lobelia stole Bilbo's spoons and he's not really forgiven her for it. Um, uh, you know, I mean, this is, this is sort of the way it, uh, uh, the way it goes, uh, the way it goes all the time. Um, so, all right. Um, more, what else do you notice? Yeah. Raban says they are cheeky and not above minor skullduggery for personal gain. Yes. Yes. Absolutely not above it in any way. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Cool, cool. Sorry. And by the way, I'd also add. I said that I, you know, Discord is the place to post your comments, but I have to make a general disclaimer. Um, there are way more people that I'm not going to be able to address every single comment that everybody makes. Um, so if I don't address a comment that you make, uh, please uh, forgive me. There are lots and lots of them, as you can see. Um, but. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dorward says, I wonder if uh, that the reason for this Hobbit tradition is more about wanting to receive presents than giving them. Um, yes, yes. Um, yeah. Oh, now, Colin, the no admittance except on party business isn't on the gate. It's on Bilbo's door, right? It's on, I mean, th- that's it's on the gate leading up to his house. It's not the gate to the party field. Um, again, I really don't think the gate, uh, the fence, you know, there at the party field is uh, erected to keep people out. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, good, good. Um, all right, more. Let's look at, let's, let's learn some more stuff about hobbits here. Okay. I hope you're all, this is from Bilbo's speech, of course. I hope you are all enjoying yourselves as much as I am. Deafening cheers, cries of yes and no. 
noises of trumpets and horns, pipes and flutes, and other musical instruments. There were, as has been said, many young hobbits present. Hundreds of musical crackers had been pulled. Most of them bore the mark Dale on them which did not convey much to most of the hobbits, but they all agreed that they were marvelous crackers. They contained instruments, small but of perfect make and enchanting tones. Indeed, in one corner, some of the young tooks and brandybucks, supposing Uncle Bilbo to have finished, since he had plainly said all that was necessary, now got up an impromptu orchestra and began a merry dance tune. Master Everard Took and Miss Melilot Brandybuck got on a table and with bells in their hands began to dance the Springle Ring, a pretty dance, but rather vigorous. But Bilbo had not finished. Seizing a horn from a youngster nearby, he blew three loud hoots. The noise subsided. "'I shall not keep you long!' he cried. "'Cheers from all the assembly!' That, by the way, is one of my favorite sentences in the entire speech uh, 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 scene. "'Cheers from all the assembly!' when he says, "'I shall not keep you long!' Um, notice, um, notice the 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 tone of the whole thing. I don't mean Tolkien's tone in describing it. I mean the whole tone of the scene, right? That is the tone of the hobbits' interactions with each other. Right? Look at what look at the two um uh the two interactions that I quoted in this uh in this passage, right? I hope you're all enjoying yourselves as much as I am. I shall not keep you long are the two things the two lines that Bilbo delivers, right? And both times he gets heckled, <laughs> essentially, right? Not mean-spiritedly, right? But could you imagine if somebody, like your host, stands up at the party and says, I hope you're all enjoying yourselves as much as I am. And people, someone's shouting, no, right? Now, there are a couple different ways in which you might shout no, right? One is... If you like want to complain or joke about complaining, maybe you're being sarcastic, right? Saying no. Maybe this is a, 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 an interpretation of that which didn't occur to me for a long time. Maybe they're teasing Bilbo. Maybe Bilbo's a little tipsy and has been kind of ostentatiously having a lot of fun himself and they're teasing him, right? I hope you're all enjoying yourselves as much as I am. No, not quite as much as you are, Bilbo. Ha ha ha, right? I, I could imagine that as being the the significance of uh, uh, of of all of the, uh, the, the you know, uh, of their shouting no. But still, again, it's the tone of the thing which I find so interesting, right? Um, so... So, okay, so what does this, what else do we see? What else does this, suggest? of course, and again, like the, uh, <clears throat> the cheers, right? When he says, I, sh- I, I shall not keep you long and they all, and they all burst into cheers. Um, yeah, Raban, there's a lot of <clears throat> teasing and joshing around. We see that all the time, right? I didn't, I didn't put this on a slide. Um, but again, another, uh, passage that I've always really liked is the comment that Mary Brandybuck makes, Right when uh, uh, when Lobelia delivers that crushing parting remark, right? Um, well, she hadn't thought of a truly crushing parting remark, right? Which is, "You're not a Baggins, you're a Brandybuck," right? And uh, and he turns, Frodo turns to Mary and says, "That was an insult, if you like." And Mary says, "It was a compliment, and therefore, of course, not true." Right? Again, that whole tone of 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 of, of teasing. This is very much part. Of Hobbit spirit, so I, I, you know, we get this general sense they don't seem to take themselves, and they certainly don't seem to take each other very seriously. There are very few Hobbits who seem to be really kind of on their dignity, um, and the only ones who really seem to be on their dignity are um, uh, are the the 
Sackville Baggins is, right? They are very dignified. Um, there are very few of the other hobbits who really seem to be, um, who really seem to be highly dignified and to take themselves really seriously. Not taking themselves or anybody else overtly very seriously seems to be pretty much um, a, uh, a, a hobbit trait, I would say. Um, now, uh, uh, Tekovic, that's a really good comment, um, that uh, there, it, we do see a class distinction here. Um, so, you know, that's definitely something to, uh, uh, that's definitely something to be aware of, um, that we don't see Gaffer Gamgee talking either to or about Bilbo in these tones. Right. Um, the people who are heckling him from the crowd here are his peers socially. Um, so that seems and and even um, not just his peers social, but his his family. Right. Uh, his relations and connections, even if uh, even if if uh, if distant ones. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, good. Good. Um And yes, uh, 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 yes, uh, Mad. Should I, I, I just want to go with Madman Modeler. That's a long name uh, uh, to call you. Uh, but anyway, yeah, um, uh, you're right that Sam doesn't participate in the same way as the rest of the hobbits. Right, Merry and Pippin and Frodo engage with each other in that similar kind of way. Sam doesn't to the same extent. Right, there are times when you can see him. Um, sort of gently participating in the same kind of way, but it's never exactly the same. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, what else? What else do you notice from this scene? And one of, the, of course, the other thing that really uh, seems to me very noteworthy is uh, the dancing, right? There's this lack of restraint, which seems to me in keeping with the other, right? In keeping with this sort of general lack of dignity, right? Um, uh, Master Everard Took and Miss Melilot Brandybuck, I presume, are not very old, right? These are youngsters. I would think Master is normally what you call a young man, and Melilot Brandybuck is apparently uh, unmarried. Um, so it's not like we have, uh, you know, a gray-haired uh, matron and, uh, you know, head of a family dancing on the table uh, in the middle of the speech. But 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 still, this is uh, um, it's cited as what seems to be only a only a small uh, increase, right, over uh, the general merrymaking, right? I mean, it's it's not completely beyond the pale. It's just the most notable example of the kind of uh, merrymaking that's breaking out around the around the the tent, right? Um, and and remember, notice when it happens. Right. Um, it happens when they think he's done. Right. That is to the hobbits. This is naturally what should come after the speech. Right. When Bilbo's done with his speech, what are they going to do? Right. They're going to drink his health and they're going to start playing music and dancing on the table. Right. That's it. Let's move on to the dancing on the table. Part of the night. Right. Seems to be the um, the thing that they are that they are planning to do, right? And Bilbo has to interrupt them, not because it's inappropriate, not to put them in their places, but just because he's not done with his speech yet, right? So that, I think, is, uh, 
is is interesting. Now, uh, uh, Bialver is uh, saying, is it worth noticing that it's a took and a brandy buck, not a gamgee and a cotton? Yes. Well, for one thing, Bialver, there aren't any cottons or gamgees in the tent, right? Now, again, it's not just because it's a class thing. It's not like they've been excluded because they're they're peasantry, um, but they're not related, right? They're 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 um, the only special unrelated friends. Um, like Gandalf is there, right? He's not related to anybody, but he gets a seat at the table anyway, right? He gets counted among the gross uh, because he's Gandalf, right? Um, he's a special family friend. Uh, anyway, so I would, um, I would, yeah, I would, I would emphasize that uh, it is family, but I mean, there's, there's, there, there's no question. There's definitely kind of a class thing. Uh, going on there. But even among them, right, it's not a boffin and a brace girdle dancing on the table either. It's a took and a brandy buck. And that does not seem horribly surprising. Um, and we'll come back to that. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that in a bit. Um, I, I, uh, Simon, there's not a reference to Sam being there. Um, Sam was at the party. Um, I mean, he, of course, we know that the party tree holds special significance for Sam, you know, for his whole... But remember, Sam's going to be quite young. Frodo is significantly older than uh uh than than the others right um so they're quite they're quite young still at this time remember there's a there's 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 a long gap um there's a 17 year gap between when between bilbo's party and when frodo leaves when they go off on their on their journey right so um uh and frodo is only now just coming of age and again he's he's the older and the older by a good bit um, compared to the others, so Mary, Pippin, and Sam are doubtless at the party, but they're um, they're quite young. Um, but uh, and yeah, and 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 would he be invited? I mean, he's the gardener's boy at that point. And again, I, I know this seems hard, right? But it's I, I don't he wouldn't I don't think he would have had a seat at the table. Um, Bilbo is generous to the poor hobbits who live near to him, and in fact, it's an interesting point. Um, one of the few times I'm going to indulge myself in dragging in a little piece from The Return of the Shadow. Um, in one of the passages in the early drafts of chapter one, uh, one of the things that is listed as particularly peculiar about Bilbo um, was that he used to spend a lot of time hanging out with poor hobbits. Um, uh, so that basically he was much le- not only more generous, but also much less of a snob. Uh, than a lot of his peers was one of the things that really marked him as being different and weird uh, in 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 Shire culture. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. So it's but but still, even under those circumstances, hard to see him including, uh, no matter how much he admires and 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 likes his gardener. Probably the gardener isn't at the table. Um, okay, all right. So let's. Uh, Let's move on. Okay. All right. So, number three. On the same sort of note of the tone, um, the sort of tough love that Bilbo shows to his friends and relations in the tags that he leaves on the gifts, you know, his bequests to them, essentially. For Adelard took, for his very own, from Bilbo on an umbrella. Adelard had carried off many unlabeled ones. For Dora Baggins, in memory of a long correspondence with love from Bilbo, on a large waste paper basket. 
Dora was Drogo's sister and the eldest surviving female relative of Bilbo and Frodo. She was ninety-nine, and had written reams of good advice for more than half a century. For Milo Burrows, hoping it will be useful, from B.B., on a gold pen and ink bottle. Milo never answered letters. For Angelica's use, from Uncle Bilbo, on a round convex mirror. She was a young Baggins, and too obviously considered her face shapely. Okay. Um, what do you notice about this? Right? What do we see? Now, again, we see the tone, right? I believe, right, I mean, I've got to believe the context of this, right, is that these are people that Bilbo has a connection with. This is not like Bilbo getting back at his enemies, right, uh, taking a, a, a parting shot at people, with the exception of Lobelia Sackville Baggins, right? Um, but even, even, even with, you know, she's a relation, at least, right? But most of these people, I think, are, um, are not... Yeah, exactly, Freemore. They're not some random people. Um, they're... they're, they're friends and relations, right? And he's teasing them. Tomas, exactly. That's exactly uh, the word I would say. He's teasing them. And notice what he teases them for, right? Adelard Took, uh, who borrowed umbrellas and didn't bring them back, right? Forgot to bring them back. So, you know, that, that uh, Fratoard Took for his very own, right? Um, so, you know, this one is not a loner that you're supposed to return, right? This is, uh, this is for, for your very own. Uh, and, of course, the, the, the capitalization of very own seems to imply, right, like you really should have, like, gotten yourself an umbrella earlier, <laughs> right? Uh, like, years ago, you should have invested in an umbrella and carried it around with you rather than borrowing mine all the time. Um, yeah, uh, the, uh, the similar thing with Milo Burroughs, right? Um, first of all, note a golden, a gold pen and ink bottle is a lavish gift, right? I mean, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a gorgeous and expensive gift. Um, and yet it's teasing again, right? Milo never answered letters. Um, I see you guys joking about, um, you know, it's, it's being hard to tell, like, calibrate, uh, how much you write to please Bilbo, right? Milo Burroughs is, is uh, teased for never writing, and Dora Baggins seems to be teased for writing for writing too much. Um, uh, ah, now, Nubo, that's a really great point. Uh, Nubo has pointed out, isn't it weird that there are umbrellas in Middle-earth? Yeah, it's one of the arguably two actual anachronisms. Um, I don't think there... I don't remember any others actual anachronisms within the text. The other is the clock that Bilbo has on his mantelpiece in The Hobbit. Um, the one that uh, uh, that Thorin left the note under at the beginning of chapter 2 um, that he didn't find because he never dusted his mantelpiece that morning. Um, yeah, it is odd uh, that uh, he has an umbrella. Um, and now, but, ah, see, Tekelvik, exactly, we're going to get there. The express train that the uh, that the dragon firework is compared to is not an anachronism in the same way. Um, what I mean by actual anachronisms, I mean within the world. Um, there are a couple of occasions on which the narrator, in describing things, uses a modern comparison, right? But that's not an anachronism because it's not inside the world of the text. The narrator, of course, the narrator slash editor slash translator of the text um, is a modern person, 
right? So when we're reading The Lord of the Rings, we are hearing a modern person speaking to us, right? That's part of the, the textual framework of the entire story. So if the narrator tells us that the firework went by and sounded like an express train, it's not, an, it's, it's not, an, it's not like there's an actual express train in the Shire, right? That would be an anachronism. So the Shire, uh, the, the, the clock rather, and the umbrella, those are like real anachronisms uh, uh, in, uh, in, in the text. Similarly, in the, uh, uh, in the first edition of The Hobbit, the, um, the trees that the dwarves and Bilbo um, climb up to escape the wargs are compared to Christmas trees, which, again, it's another sort of cultural thing. Um, but um, anyway... Anyway, oh yeah, Freemorn, we're going to have a whole class on the textual history of the book. That's one of the reasons we're waiting. Right? We're, we're going to wait until afterwards, and we're going to look at that. Yeah, that whole like note on Shire records, oh, we're, we're going to spend some time there. Don't you worry. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. See, Nubo, I don't think he's... Uh, yeah, Nubo was just posting links to like you know, ancient Chinese things which were sort of used as umbrellas and things. I, I, I don't think so. It's... I think he didn't take it out because it can... Well, I'm skipping a step here. The umbrella's in there from the beginning. And from the beginning, I mean from when he first sat down and started to write a chapter as a sequel to The Hobbit. And in the same kind of tone uh, and, you know, sort of move... You know, a, a concept as the Hobbit, right? Um, when he was uh, still writing a a children's book and writing a children's book in the style that the Hobbit was was originally written in, he was less concerned as he is in the Hobbit, less concerned with making a really self sort of internally consistent world. He was doing less. He was he he was focused a good deal less in the Hobbit, on subcreating an intensely detailed and fully worked out world. It's just kind of not the Hobbit isn't really there. That's that's not really the focus of the Hobbit, and that's still where Tolkien's mind was when he sat down to write Chapter One. It's one of the reasons why Chapter One seems so different than so much of the rest of what came after. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, the umbrella was in there from the beginning, just like the mantle clock in The Hobbit, right? Um, but he didn't take it out, right? He had lots of chances to revise it. He did a bunch of revision to the uh, the different notes, which they were harsher, by the way. In the first, he would, he, uh, like, the gloves were off in the first edition, <laughs> like his very first draft of this chapter. He was much meaner in his, in his notes. Um, they're much softer now uh, in the uh, published version. Um, but so he had lots of chances to take out the umbrella, but he didn't take it out, right? And I think that's good. I, th- I, th- I think that's okay. He seemed to be fine with it. Um, it was willing just to kind of let it go. Sure, hobbits have umbrellas. Not impossible, right? Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, Dora Baggins. That one I've always found the uh, the hardest thing to understand. That is, is he, what's the, we're told that the labels all have some message or some point or some joke, 
right? What's the message point or joke exactly to Dora Baggins, right? Um, in memory of a long correspondence with love from Bilbo, she was 99 and had written reams of good advice for more than half a century, right? If you just read the beginning and the end of that paragraph, it sounds like, you know, this is, a, you know, he has great affection, you know, for this senior hobbit uh, who is... Um, um, uh, who is, uh, 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 okay. So, you know, so uh, hers is a correspondence he's going to miss, right? So he leaves her a present, but it's a waste paper basket, right? Uh, I mean, is this saying like, I don't know, like, I don't get it. I don't understand them. I mean, it sounds really mean, right? Like I've been writing you for all these years and here, uh, I, I just wanted to, uh, you to remember me and like, cause I like, when I think of you, I think of like the waste paper basket. Um, uh, anyway, it's, it's, um, it does sound exactly like he's saying what she writes goes in the bin. Are we to understand the reams of good advice? Is that ironic? Is that, so there's there sarcasm there is a narrator being sarcastic. Um, it doesn't sound like it. Um, El Guapo, great name by the way, is uh, is saying it. he's she he's suggesting Bilbo suggesting that she can bin all his old letters, right? Maybe, maybe. Um, I I because I, I, I mean it is true, right? He's not saying I chucked all of your letters away without reading them or something, right? But rather like you're probably going to need a new waste a large waste paper basket because I have uh, uh, that that he's he's saying something about his own writings, not, not hers, right? I sent you so many letters, uh, you know, you're you, doubtless you need this, right? So I kind of like to think of it as self-deprecating rather than insulting, uh, to poor old Dora Baggins. Um, but, uh, now Robert, you're right that she is his junior, right? Robert is suggesting maybe Bilbo doesn't appreciate advice from his junior, but she's not that junior, right? I mean, he's, he's 111, she's 99, right? I mean, they're pretty much peers, um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, but, um, yeah, Tony, see, it is tempting also then just to say that he's, to think that his point to her is here's where you can put your good advice. I don't like to think, I always feel bad for Dora Baggins. I always want to, I find myself wanting to come up with a, uh, a positive interpretation of this. Um, but, uh, I, I, but I think it's quite possible that he is telling her as Freda is agreeing that, uh, he, she can, she, she can, she, she can toss her advice. Um, but, uh, but I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's one way or the other though. Again, you, we can see sort of the, uh, the tone that it really, uh, that it really stays in. And with Angelica though, that's kind of harsh though. Again, harsh in a way that I'm quite not sh- I'm not quite sure how to take it. Right. Um, I mean, the point is obvious, right? She was a young Baggins and too obviously considered her face shapely. Right. I mean, it's one of the points which is spelled out pretty clearly. You spend too much time looking in the mirror. Right. But a convex mirror. Really? Um, uh, 
Modsnotter? Is that Modsnotter? I don't know how you pronounce your name. Uh, the convex mirror will make her face more shapely. Yes, it will be a different shape, right? But it will be shapely still. Um, uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, it's... Um, I, I, yeah, I, is he saying, suggesting that your face is not as shapely as you think, right? Um, try this mirror instead, right? Is this designed to... Um, is it designed to make her sort of laugh at herself, right? For looking in the mirror so often. Um, anyway, I, I, I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm not completely, completely sure exactly how, and and why does he have a convex mirror anyway? What was the point? What was the purpose of the convex mirror that he had, uh, in, uh, in the first place. Um, and you're right, Matt, each note is also a lesson. Um, Matt says, Dora can't have not known that she's going to be ignored a lot. Uh, it's akin to the pretty young Hobbit. Yes, she gets a mirror, but the mirror shows, uh, others, uh, shows that others look at her and see something different. Yeah. Yeah. That certainly, um, um, uh, that certainly would, uh, uh, make it a lesson, a point. Right. Um, not just a joke. Right. Um, but uh, but at some point. Right. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Benjamin thinks that convex mirrors fit on round hobbit ce- uh, ceilings. Maybe maybe a different round parts of hobbit holes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Archimago, which name is also very awesome, by the way. Um, uh, Archimago, please tell me, is your screen name? Uh, a reference to Spencer's Fairy Queen, because bonus points for you, if it is. Uh, anyway, okay. Um, Archimago says, I'd like to think that most of Bilbo's gift recipients would st- would chuckle at the messages rather than grumble. Uh, and I definitely, I definitely like to think so, too. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Okay, excellent. It is a Spencer reference, and I can tell that you're totally sincere about that because you even spelled Spencer correctly when you typed that. Uh, way to go. Way to go. Uh, big Spencer fan here. Love the Fairy Queen. Wrote my undergraduate thesis on, uh, on, 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 on book two, the book, of, uh, the book of Temperance, Sir Guyan and the Bower of Bliss. Uh, big fan. Um, <clears throat> anyway, cool. All right. So we begin to... Now, just sort of back up for a second and look at the overall picture that we begin to see. Notice this sort of... The trends. Again, in The Hobbit, all we're told is that they don't like adventures, right? They're kind of boring, stay-at-home people. They respect people who are predictable and they know just how they're going to act and just what they're going to do, right? You could be forgiven the impression that, um, uh, that the... Hobbits of the Shire are kind of boring, right? Um, if uh, you know that's that, uh, it kind of sounds that way, um, potentially in the Hobbit, right? But of course, it's 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 easier for Tolkien to kind of do that and and toss and sort of pass it off because we don't learn anything more about them, right? We never really meet them. Um, uh, here, of course, in the Fellowship of the Ring, we do. And we interact with them much more. Um, and when we do, we've you know when Tolkien really kind of invests his imagination in the Shire, it's much more lively, 
right? Um, there's definitely, there's a kind of humility, it seems, to Hobbit culture, that sort of not taking yourself very seriously. Um, even the way in which... Notice... Um, one of the other things that I think that we can see about um, Hobbit culture, you can tell how nonviolent in general it is. Um, <laughs> I remember, uh, I remember Tom Shippey giving a lecture about Beowulf at one point, and um, he was talking about the very elaborate formula that they use when addressing each other and especially strangers. Um, so you're very, very polite, right? Um, uh, people were, excru- were, were were always extremely polite, and of course, Shippy says, "Well, naturally, of course, you're going to be uh, extremely polite to somebody who might, you know, whip out his sword and chop your head off if you give him a reason, right?" Um, and of course, we, this gets dramatized in the Hobbit with Bjorn, right? Um, you should be very polite, very, very polite to Bjorn, right? Because you never know what that guy's going to do, right? The whole atmosphere of the Shire, like, I mean, if you were, if Bjorn were standing up there giving a speech and said, I hope you're all enjoying yourselves as much as I am, nobody would be shouting, no, I'm not, right? I mean, they wouldn't, but yes, sir, no, definitely, right? Um, but um, uh, anyway, yeah, so um, it's, um, <laughs> yes, Tugmigal quotes Heinlein saying an armed society is a polite society. Exactly, exactly. Um, Hobbits uh, are not, right? Um, there's, there's a kind of laid-back element to their, to their culture um, that I think comes, comes across very clearly. Um, they're not... They don't um, stand on formalities, right? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but... Brief reminder, if you're in the Discord chat, don't forget, um, please try to restrain yourselves from talking to each other in that chat, or else my screen will go past me even faster than it currently is. So remember that uh, if you're typing in Discord, remember I'm your target audience in that, if you can. Uh, um, yeah, good, good. Okay, um, just a reminder, there's the Twitch chat for talking amongst yourselves, which I totally encourage. Um, but, uh, uh, anyway, um, yeah. Now, Bruinier exactly says they can afford to be laid back with the Rangers watching them. Yes, this supports what will be, what will, we will be informed that what we will learn later that the Hobbit society was, was a sheltered society. We don't know that yet, right? We're just, we're just here in the middle of it. It's, uh, the only one that we've, um, uh, that we, uh, that we see, um, now, interesting. Uh, Eternity says, uh, can we talk about Hobbit children and how they're much less boring and stay at home than the other Hobbits, the way they chase after Gandalf and are excited about the fireworks and all that kind of thing? Um, yeah. Yeah. I... We'll come to that in a second, because I want to talk about Gandalf and his fireworks. If we get to the fireworks, we know I will have really... Uh, um, exceeded my expectations for the evening here today. I'm not sure we're gonna. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we don't have that many data points. Um, but they're certainly fun-loving, even mischievous, right? But that actually doesn't seem to be very different from their elders, right? As we're not told that it's young hobbits that are sneaking out the back and coming back in the front again to get a second present, right? Um, so, 
that it seems to me actually very much of a piece with the way that their elders act. Um, I mean, uh, you know, the hobbits, it's, it's easy to imagine, for instance, that a hobbit child who chases after Gandalf's wagon crying, gee, for grand, will grow into a, you know, a tween hobbit who will dance the sprinkle ring on the table in front of 144 of his elders, um, and who will then later on grow into uh, uh, somebody who will sit back uh with both of his feet up on the table at a formal dinner, right? That, that kind of seems to me like a pretty fair continuum, right? Uh, as far as aging is, uh, is, is concerned. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, all right. <clears throat> Let us look at, let's get to the gaffers conversation because we're not too far away from our field trip. Um, so let's let's make sure we get to the gaffer. Might not get as far as Gandalf's fireworks, but okay. So a few quotes from the conversation at the Ivy Bush between Old Noakes, Gaffer Gamgee, and Sandyman, Daddy Two Foot, and a couple other uh, you know stranger there on business from Mickle Delving. Um, let's um, let's look at this. What about this Frodo that lives with him? Asked Old Noakes of Bywater. Baggins is his name, but he's more than half a brandy buck, they say. It beats me why any Baggins of Hobbiton should go looking for a wife away there in Buckland, where folks are so queer. And no wonder they're queer, put in Daddy Twofoot, the gaffer's next-door neighbor. If they live on the wrong side of the Brandywine River, and right again the old forest, that's a dark, bad place, if half the tales be true. You're right, Dad, said the gaffer. Not that the Brandybucks of Buckland live in the old forest, but they're a queer breed, seemingly. They fool about with boats on that big river, and that isn't natural. Small wonder that trouble came of it, I say. What do we learn here? Now here, of course, we do have to, we do have to keep, and by the way, I'm not trying to imitate, the, I'm terrible at accents, but Tolkien is really good at imitating dialectical speech, um, I can't read, like, when he's doing the dialectical speech of, like, the lower-class hobbits, I, I, I can't read it in my normal voice. It's just, so it's like the whole attitude of their, of their lines kind of come out. Um, but, um, but anyway, Raban, yeah, I, I, old Noakes, not the same Noakes from Wooten Major, I think, um, but it is really interesting that he has the same name, isn't it? Or rather, it's the other way around, obviously, right? Smith of Wooten Major is written uh, many years after uh, The Lord of the Rings was written, certainly before Old Noakes of Bywater. Interesting that he plucked the name of Noakes um, uh, and reused it in the particular way that he does. Um, but, um, anyway. Uh, Yes, parochial, Tony. That's a really important observation, right? The hobbits are incredibly parochial. It's not just that they, um, you know, look down their noses or, or at least look very dubiously at people from outside the Shire. That's kind of a given, right? But that's not anything like the limit of their parochialness, right? Um, they are so parochial that they... Um, uh, that they they look at the people who live just a few miles away as as almost foreigners right um, yeah yeah um, and good yet yeah, madman you're right they're suspicious 
right? They're they're uh, they're quick to suspect. There's a kind of well, okay. I'll use this word because it's a fun word to say, but it's not quite fair to say it of of the gaffer. But scandal mongering, right? That is. They like sensational stories, and they're ready to believe scandalous things about people who live outside their world, even if their world is so small that the people outside it are only like 10, 15 miles away, right? Um, it's, um, anyway, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, they're very suspicious, right? But again, but the scandal-mongering thing. Notice that small wonder that trouble came of it, I say. He's begging, begging for somebody to say, what trouble came of it? He's, he's spoiling to tell the story of the trouble that came. I mean, that is such, I mean, he's, he's just, just begging to be asked to tell that story, right? Um, even though he knows that most of them have already heard it, right? And we're, we're going to get there, right? You know, he's going he's gonna to get to tell the story and the narrator is going to emphasize almost everybody there has always heard it, but they're ready to hear it again. Um, the enjoy, enjoyment of telling sort of these kinds of shocking stories and the desire to hear them again and again is definitely another part of their, of their culture. It's definitely another thing uh, that, we can, that we can see. Um... Good, good. Um, excellent. Sorry, looking at... Uh, skimming through, I got behind on my on my page over here. Um, yes, gossip. It really is. Uh, Raban, you're right. It's really... Is. And Raban, is your name a Dune reference? Are, 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 are you making a reference to the beast Raban in your, in your name? Um, but... Uh, but yes, they are huge. They are hugely gossipy. These uh, these 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 hobbits are <laughs> interesting. Yeah, Tony Mead says it's almost like a call and response kind of storytelling. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good, good. Um, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, it is a Dune reference. Nice. Um, uh, Excellent. Um, okay, so so all right. So, but this does seem to be a fairly sort of stable thing, and I say stable um, because it's not that is to say it's not, it's not just the gaffer and his friends, right? It's not even just a class thing because you'll notice Lobelia talks in a similar kind of way, right? Her whole insult, right? You're not a Baggins, you're a Brandybuck, is premised it seems, upon the same kind of thing, right? I mean, she also seems to believe that away there in Buckland, folks are queer, right? I mean, it's just weird people living over there, right? Now, but notice what makes them queer. What's strange about the Brandy Bucks? Um, Or how do you know that they're strange? And this, I think, is also interesting. It's not just that they're far away, but they live on the wrong side of the river, Right? I, there's a clear geographical boundary, and they're on the other side of it. There's something deviant about the Brandy Bucks, right? Because the, the river is the border of the Shire. And we're told, the narrator has told us that the Brandy Bucks crossed over, or will tell us, sorry, not yet, in chapter one, um, and made what is virtually an independent colony uh, from the Shire. But it's not in the boundary of the of the Shire, right? Um, so there's something in that 
sense like separatist about uh, about the Brandy Bucks, right? So that's you know they have uh, they've set themselves up for this this kind of thing. Um, and then there's the old forest. Right? So on the, they're on the wrong side of the river, and they're right again the old forest, right? So okay, you didn't just go outside the Shire. You went outside the Shire, and uh, even though there's this creepy like dangerous mysterious old forest over there right that's like even stranger right that's even that's even more weird um so okay so this is all um this is all kind of uh uh, uh again it shows us about the um not just per, it's not just not just parochial um but here again, we can see that they're not liking adventures, right? Um, being right, right up again, you know, being right again, the old forest is, is, uh, is weird, right? Um, way too adventurous, clearly, uh, for the gaffer. Um, yeah, more. Okay. So here's when the gaffer gets to tell the story he was fishing to tell before. And Mr. Droga was staying at Brandy Hall with his father-in-law, old Master Gorbadoc, as he often did after his marriage, him being partial to his vittles and old Gorbadoc keeping a mighty generous table. And he went out boating on the Brandywine River, and he and his wife were drowned, and poor Mr. Frodo, only a child and all. I've heard they went out on the water after dinner in the moonlight, said old Noakes, and it was Drogo's way to sunk the boat. And I heard she pushed him in, and he pulled her in after him, said Sandyman, the Hobbiton Miller. You shouldn't listen to all you hear, Sandyman, said the gaffer, who did not much like the miller. There isn't no call to go talking of pushing and pulling. Boats are quite tricky enough for those that sit still, without looking further for the cause of trouble. Um, again, notice how the gaffer was spoiling to tell the story, right? And everyone else was obviously spoiling to respond to it, right? Noakes is already, right, with his, uh, with his theory. I've heard they went on, and Sandyman is spoiling with his, too. Now, notice, um, notice the gaffer's response to that, right? I, you know, we've been talking about gossip. I use the word scandal-mongering. But when it comes to real scandal, the gaffer's not having any of it, Right? Um, you know, there isn't no call to talk of go, to go talking of pushing and pulling, right? Um, first of all, it would mar the no murder record. Um, and how ironic, right, that Frodo, who declares no one has ever been murdered, like if his own parents had murdered each other, right, that would be heavily ironic. But no, I don't think there's any reason to suspect it, really. Um, but um, anyway, it's... it's um, it's interesting, sort of the limits. He'll talk about the Brandy Bucks, right? They're queer people. They they go fooling about, you know, with boats on that river. So in a sense, they were asking for it, right? Remember what he said before: is no, you know, no, no, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was no, it wasn't, wasn't I'm going to misquote him, right? Small wonder, right? Small wonder that trouble came of it. I say, right? The moral of the story is: don't fool around with boats on that big river. Obviously, right? You know what? What, what they have no sense over there in Buckland. Obviously, they don't, right? Um, but so he's willing to go there, but he's unwilling to go further. Right. The idea that they actually, uh, you know, that there was pushing and pulling involved, right. That this was like a double murder or, um, you know, whatever. 
this is um, uh, the gaffer will have nothing to do with that, right? And it what's more, it marks Sandyman as deviant, right? I mean, this is he's not getting it, right? He's not. It, um, he doesn't. The gaffer doesn't much like him, right? But uh, but he really kind of breaks the whole spirit of things, right? I mean, it's it's this is not, um, you know, like they're all talking and they're all they're all having a good time, and then you know, Sandyman pipes up with the pushing and the pulling, and everyone's like, "Dude, not cool," <laughs> right? The gaffer is not interesting. Is is not interested uh, in that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Piaver is wondering if there's something suspect about being a miller. <sighs> well, yes, um, there is, uh, but it's not usually this. I mean, millers millers have a bad reputation. Um, there's a long tradition of sketchy millers, um, especially in medieval literature that that uh, that Tolkien would have known quite well. Um, the the Millers, and again, uh, um, this is true even in other of Tolkien's works. If you read Farmer Giles of Ham, the, the Miller uh, is uh, one of the um, enemies of Farmer Giles. He's uh, he's he's a very unpleasant character there as well. Um, um, yeah, yeah, Tony and uh, Tank and I was thinking of Chaucer, of course. Um, Miller's uh, Miller's have a bad, but it's not just in Chaucer. Miller's have a bad reputation, but the the reason they had a bad reputation is that Miller's, um, of course, there's never more than one mill in a town, unless it's a very huge town. Uh, usually, only one mill for several towns around. So the Miller has a very important monopoly, um, and therefore is in a position. Uh, to really squeeze his neighbors if he has a mind to, or cheat them, or, you know, any number of things. And so they have a really shady reputation um, among sort of, um, you know, the the kind of lower-level literature of, uh, of lower-class-wise literature of the Middle Ages. Um, and uh, anyway, yeah, so that's why they're, that's why they're kind of, they're kind of untrustworthy. There seems to be. I mean, it's it's not just this is not this is not just uh, a, a Tolkien kind of trotting out that old Miller stereotype because um, the Millers are. Um, I mean, that Sandyman is not bad in that way, right? I mean, the 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 questionable things about Sandyman and his son Ted um, don't have anything to do with the traditional vices of Millers, really. Uh, so again, it's not exactly the same, but. At the same time, coming from a medieval literature perspective, it's totally not a shock that uh, that the Miller is uh, questionable. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And Finn, you're right. He mentions Tolkien mentions in the in the foreword that um, uh, Sandyman is not the Miller of uh, the mill. You know that he grew up by Sarehole Mill. Um, you know that it's not just that he's taking it out, uh, uh, although he never liked the looks of the young Miller. But but again, I, I don't think it's uh, merely autobiographical. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to call you Mode Snoder 
because it's it's it'd be more fun if your name rhymes uh, internally. Um, the weight comment implies gluttony. Absolutely right now. Tolkien makes fat jokes all the time. Fat jokes are totally fair game. Remember all the fat jokes made at Bumber's expense in The Hobbit, right? Um, And in fact, by the way, uh, Tolkien cut out a fat joke. One of the original messages, one of the original notes that uh, that Bilbo left um, uh, with some point or some joke in it was 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 a fat joke. Um, I think it was a bed, like a huge bed um, that would fit the big his big huge fat relative. I forget his name. but uh but yes he he didn't uh um he didn't he didn't uh, shy away from making fat jokes that's so it seems to be again old noakes comes in with a fat joke right i heard that they went to water after dinner in the moonlight if they'd gone if they'd gone on the water before dinner he wouldn't have sunk the boat right but it was it was right after dinner he was all like oh and he sank the boat right i mean it's a it's a I mean, that's funny right and then sandyman is like i heard she pushed him in and he pulled her in after him and they're all like Dude, not funny, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. Of course, several you're pointing out, right? Of course, the character whose nickname is Fatty, right? Um, exactly, exactly. Fatty Bulger. Um, okay, more. Let's keep going with this uh, with this conversation. Um, this is uh, talking about Bag End now specifically. You'll remember that uh, the reminiscences of those who have been around for a long time, who've been you know, or neighbors to Bilbo are in, uh, on, in high demand as the party approaches. Um, and this is in response to the, the visitor from Mickle Delving who says that he's heard that all the, the, the hill is full of tunnels packed with gold and, uh, and silver and jewels. Then you've heard more than I can speak to, answered the gaffer. I know nothing about jewels. Mr. Bilbo is free with his money and there seems no lack of it, but I know of no tunnel-making. I saw Mr. Bilbo when he came back, matter of sixty years ago, when I was a lad. I'd not long come prentice to old Holman, him being my dad's cousin, but he had me up at Bag End, helping him to keep folks from trampling and trapassing all over the garden while the sail was on. And in the middle of it all, Mr. Bilbo comes up the hill with a pony and some mighty big bags and a couple of chests. I don't doubt they were mostly full of treasure he had picked up in foreign parts, where there be mountains of gold, they say. But there wasn't enough to fill tunnels. But my my lad Sam will know more about that. He's in and out of Bag End, crazy about stories of the old days he is, and he listens to all Mr. Bilbo's tales. Mr. Bilbo has learned him his letters, meaning no harm, mark you, and I hope no harm will come of it. Elves and dragons, I says to him. Cabbages and potatoes are better for me and you. Don't go getting mixed up in the business of your betters, or you'll land in trouble too big for you, I says to him. And I might say it to others, he added, with a look at the stranger in the miller. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way, so Freda, the reason that jewels is, uh, it's, it's, it's italicized in the text. And the reason it's italicized is because it's a quotation. Um, you can see that throughout, um, like going back for instance, um, yeah, there here, I hope you're all enjoying yourselves as much as I am. That's, that's the direct quotation from Bilbo. Right. Um, and similarly here, this is when the, the, the gaffer is quoting himself, right? Elves and dragons, I says to him. Cabbages and potatoes are better for me and you, right? Um, so I, I don't know nothing about jewels. So the italicization of jewels, that's the print version of air quotes, right? I, don't, I know nothing about jewels, right? Um, he's Because qu- he's, he's quoting the word that was just used in the pronunciation that was just used by the visitor from Mickle Delving. Um, so... Um, 
Now, why do I think he deliberately misspelled it? I do think it's a hint of of the accent. Yes, um, I think it's a hint of uh, of of the you know just it's part of the of the overall kind of dialect of of their speech. Not only the gaffers, but the visitors as well. Um, I think another thing that you can't rule out. Um, Tolkien is is very oriented to the sound of things, and um, he. There are several occasions on which he will spell things in a way to make sure they get pronounced right. Right? He wants to make sure that if he wrote J E W E L S, there is a chance that somebody, especially somebody uh, with a proper British accent, might pronounce that with something like two syllables. Right? He definitely wants that in the gaffer's mouth to be a one-syllable word. Right? It's not jewels. It's jewels. J O O L S. Um, so I think it's, I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not about, um, uh, it's not about shortening things, right? It's not like texting language or languages on signs or things like that. Cause remember this is, this is, this is, this is a transcription of a conversation, right? Um, it's about how it's supposed to be pronounced. Um, so, uh, so yeah, exactly, cat. Uh, it's phonetic spelling essentially, um, and it is definitely Lee uh, a sort of a pointing to the fact that he is uh, he is unlearned, ostentatiously so, right? He is the the, the gaffer is ostentatiously illiterate, right? Um, uh, I mean, just later in this is it's and it's one of my favorite lines from the meaning no harm, Mark you, and I hope no harm will come of it. The fact that he says that, right? Bilbo has learned him his letters, meaning no harm, mark you, right? Uh, he's got to emphasize that he doesn't, in his opinion, Bilbo was not intempt, attempting to harm Sam by making him literate, right? That's obviously something on the table, or even potentially something that he might imagine everyone's going to assume to be true, right? Like, oh, he did? Like, why, why, would, Bil- why, why would Bilbo do that to your son, right? Um... So he, yeah, he, he definitely, um, uh, he, the gaffer not only is fine with being illiterate, he, he even questions not being illiterate, right? Um, and, and notice why. Elves and dragons, I says to him. Cabbages and potatoes are better for me and you. Now, stop there for a second. If we just had that sentence... What does it sound like he's going to say? Right? Again, the Hobbit kind of primes us to expect that what he's objecting to is this adventurous nonsense, right? Focus on mundane things. Focus on day-to-day matters. Don't don't be dreaming about all that crazy adventure stuff, right? Keep your feet on the ground. Focus on your work, right? You're a gardener. Focus on cabbages and potatoes, right? That's better for me and you. We're working people, right? Um but it's not fantasy or the fact that it's fantastic or the fact that it's adventurous and in that sense countercultural as the hobbit has primed us to understand adventures as being countercultural in hobbit society that doesn't seem to be that's not actually where the gaffer goes with it right don't go getting mixed up in the business of your betters or you'll land in trouble too big for you i says to him 
No, the moral of the story is that if he thinks too much about elves and dragons, it could lead to him getting mixed up in the business of your better. So adventures, I guess? Elves and dragons? Fit into the, cate- into the category... Not into the category unrealistic, frivolous things that you shouldn't waste your time with, right? Which, again, is what the elves and dragons versus cabbages and potatoes contrast would seem to imply at first, right? But that doesn't seem to be his emphasis. No, it's not that elves and dragons are are no point for anybody or, like, only for kids or something like that. It's they're only for rich folks? For the landed gentry or something, right? Um, to get mixed up in elves and dragons is to get mixed up in the business of your betters. That's And that's really interesting. Uh, not just the class distinction. I mean, yes, of course, there is a class distinction. He's making a class distinction. You know, the fact that the gaffer talks about Bilbo, as, uh, Bilbo and Frodo as his betters is something that really jumps out, often especially to an American audience, I think. But, um, but I don't want to get distracted by that, right? To me... Um, to me, I think that we have, um, uh, we see a different glimpse of something about Hobbit culture here, right? Um, the fact that he is so, and, and, but, but though it's not unknown in the Hobbit, right? Remember the Tooks, remember the Tooks, right? The Tooks are the, the best of the betters, Right? Um, they're the richest, most famous of all of the noble houses of the... It's, noble isn't a word that's really used of them, but, you know. People that the gaffer would consider his betters, the Tooks are the top of the heap, right? Um, and those are Tookish things. De- elves and dragons, I mean, are Tookish things, right? So maybe the whole Took subculture of the Shire is what has influenced the gaffer, to think of it in these terms, it seems to me more likely that it's Bilbo himself, right? Remember, the gaffer was only a lad uh, when Bilbo came back, at the time of the auction, right, of Bilbo's house. Um, uh, uh, the the gaffer was, um, uh, he was... He was just a lad, right? Um, in other words, his own views on Hobbit culture, have been formed, in part, by living next door to Bilbo Baggins, right? So I think that there's, you know, he he knows Bilbo's into elves and dragons, right? So when Sam is crazy about stories of the old days, right, listening to all Mr. Bilbo's tales, it's not, again, it's not about the adventurousness, it's not about the fantasticness, it's just, that's not the world... That might be fine for Bilbo, right? But that's not the world Sam lives in. Um, cabbages and potatoes are better than me and you. And notice, you'll land in trouble too big for you. It's dangerous, that world. It's not envy, right? They can keep it, apparently, obviously, as far as the gaffer is concerned, right? He has no desire for Bilbo's world, right? Even if Sam does seem to have a kind of desire there, Um yeah, I, I agree, um, uh, uh, Paisley. Uh, it, it is there is definitely fear there. He is he is he's afraid 
of them and of what uh, of what and 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 Modes Notary, yeah, he fears for Sam's safety, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Good. Matt says, uh, it's easy to forget that Bilbo is the only hobbit in living memory to have likely worn a sword with the thought of using it. Yeah, uh, Matt, recalling, of course, that line, uh, that that wild, frenzied imagination that Bilbo has at the end of chapter one of The Hobbit. Uh, The dwarves may have thought him a burglar, but he would have been a knightly figure for the hobbits. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Archimago, you're right. Um, The gaffer, of course, that sentence is in the end, very prophetic, right? Sam, no one can, no one can argue that Sam does not, in fact, land in trouble too big for him, right? Uh, way, way too big. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. One more. One more. One more, and then it's field trip time. Uh, all right. Ah, but he has likely enough been adding to what he brought at first, argued the miller, voicing common opinion. He's often away from home, and look at the outlandish folk that visit him. Dwarves coming at night, and that old wandering conjurer Gandalf and all. You can say what you like, gaffer, but Bag End's a queer place and its folk are queerer. And you can say what you like about what you know no more of than you do of boating, Mr. Sandyman, retorted the gaffer, disliking the miller even more than usual. If that's being queer, then we could do with a bit more queerness in these parts. There's some not far away that wouldn't offer a pint of beer to a friend if they lived in a hole with golden walls. But they do things proper at Bag End. Our Sam says that everyone's going to be invited to the party, and there's going to be presents, mark you, presents for all, this very month as is. Now, notice the miller here is not out of step with the rest of them, right? This is the thing, this is the moment where the conversation really turns in what I think is a really fascinating way, right? Again, remember, we we got that, you know, the gaffer like, ooh, 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 can I tell the story of Drogo and Primula Brandybuck being drowned, right? Uh, drowned it, excuse me, and uh, an old Noakes right piping in with his fat joke afterwards, right? I mean, they they they've probably told the story and made that same joke lots of times before, right? And then again, we have Sandyman, you know, kind of laying an egg there, and everybody being like, "Dude, that's not cool." But look what happens here, right? First of all, he's voicing common opinion. Sandyman is right. Sandyman is the voice of the people here. He's not out of step with everybody else, and. The negative things he expresses about Bilbo are in line, not just in line with what people generally say, but with what the gaffer himself said of others, right? Look at the outlandish folk that visit him, dwarves coming at night, and that old wandering conjurer Gandalf. You've got to think, if the gaffer lived further away from Bilbo, he'd talk exactly that same way about Bilbo, right? If Bilbo, or or conversely, if Bilbo lived in Buckland, right? That's exactly what the gaffer would say, right? Look at the outlandish folk that visit him. Dwarves coming at night and that old wandering conjurer Gandalf, right? That's, uh, uh, that, that, that totally sounds like, um, that totally sounds like the gaffer, right? But it's the gaffer who's resistant to it. And you can say what you like about what you know no more of than you do of boating, Mr. Sandyman. Right? Um, uh, 
the gaffer is the one here who's being more countercultural. If that's queer, then we could do with a bit more queerness in these parts. Remember, queer is the adjective that he was using about the Bucklanders earlier in this conversation, right? And no wonder they're queer, right? Living uh, on the wrong side of the river and right up again the old forest. Um, uh, Bilbo is a neighbor, right? Lives right next door to the gaffer. So he can't be queer in the same way that the Bucklanders are way over there in Buckland, right? Um, but he acknowledges Bilbo's queerness in a sense, right? But if, if that's being queer, then we could do with a bit more queerness in these parts. Yes, Bilbo is unusual, but how is he unusual? He is unusual for being more kind and more generous than usual, right? Um, and Tony, I agree. The dig about offering beer uh, seems to be directed at Sandyman. Um, now, presumably Sandyman does not live in a hole with golden walls, but there's some not far away that wouldn't offer a pint of beer to a friend. Yeah, Tony, do you get, do you get the impression that uh, uh, maybe Sandyman didn't stand his round when he was supposed to, right, at the ivy bush? Uh, I, I, I kind of get that impression. Um because uh, we know that Sandyman does live not far away, right? Um, uh, though, Raban, you're right, he is the miller. He probably is richer. He's certainly richer. He's got to be richer than the gaffer, right? Millers are always richer than gardeners, right? Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I agree, Raban. It, it might be an exaggeration to say that he lives in a hole with golden walls. By the way, I would love it if, this were, if that were some specific reference, right? Like if there were... Uh, um, if this were an exaggeration of something that was like, you know, like if there were golden decorations or even like gold colored paint or something. And they, like if this were actually a really sort of a personal dig and him exaggerating it to say, you're so rich and yet like y- you wouldn't even, uh, uh, you know, buy me a beer. Um, <laughs> Colin says like Sandyman has expensive wallpaper or something. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he, this is clearly a dig. At Sandyman, I, 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 I definitely, I definitely agree. Um, so they're parochial, but of course they don't have this sort of romantic idea that everybody around them is like normal and good and everybody outside is, is automatically weird. And even he acknowledges the strangeness of Bilbo. Bilbo is strange, right? He's queer. There's, he's weird. Um, but that shocking statement, right, that we could do with a bit more queerness in these parts, right? Um, you know that he's a he's a good kind of strange, um, and uh, and that's 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 no bad thing, right? Um, so his 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 acknowledgement of that is, I think, really important. Okay, um, uh, I'm gonna stop there. Uh, next time, let me tell you a little bit about uh, what we're going to talk about next time, so you can be prepared for that. Um, I want to I want to go back to the beginning, look at the first two paragraphs. Um, I want to look at how Bilbo himself is introduced. Um, I want to look at a couple more details from the party specifically. Um, look carefully at Gandalf's description of the fireworks. We're going to talk about that next time as well. Um, and then Bilbo's disappearance. But then what I want to spend the majority of next week on is the scene with Bilbo and Gandalf. I'm 
planning to go through the the whole the confrontation of Bilbo and and getting him to give up the ring. Um, I'm I'm I want to go through that passage pretty much line by line actually. Um, so we're we'll certainly spend uh, the majority of the next class on that. We may finish it. We may not. We'll see where we get next time. But uh, but yeah, so so Erica, I know you're going to laugh at me next week, but I want to I want to begin our second class with uh, the first paragraph of chapter one. Um, So it's all good. It's all good. Um, Okay, so, Tony, great question. Again, just to to remind you, if you uh, for people who don't uh, listen to the whole thing live again, there's the discussion board for that. Questions for Narnian is where you would want to post observations and questions. Um, If you do it in the intervening week, I may be able to work those into the next week's question. If they're if they're much later, probably just answer by text. Um, So, yeah, so that'll be that'll be how we'll do it. Um, Yeah, good, good. Um, all right. Okay. So it is field trip time. So, uh, now we're going to transition. So for those of you, especially if you're listening to the audio version of this asynchronously, um, uh, you can carry on listening. I'm going to carry on recording because we're going to, uh, I'm going to be talking about, but, but it's going to be a little bit more visually oriented. Um, because what I want to do, the fun thing, the fun opportunity here is to go through talking about, um, the, uh, adaptation that uh, the Lotro folks have done in um, in making this game, right? They are really interesting and careful uh, readers of Tolkien's text, and um, I have always been impressed from the from from the from the day I began playing the game. I've been extremely impressed um, with how thoughtful and careful they have been um, in putting the game together. Um, it is still, and I have said this many times, and I'll keep saying it until uh, somebody comes along with better, but I'm not holding my breath. Um, and that is, um, it's the best adaptation of Tolkien I've ever seen in any medium. Um, uh, you know, film, radio adaptation, uh, anything. Um, it, is, uh, it is the best, most interesting, and most thoughtful. So, I'm going to I'm going to get no I'm going to keep the my my question stream open over here so if you have observations or questions again if you're watching on the Twitch stream uh you can uh you can still um you can still talk there um and I I will get them I will get them there um oh yeah for those of you watching at home don't be alarmed by the giant shrew um that's just somebody's pet uh this is the kind of thing one experiences hang on I forgot to do one thing which I'm realizing I got to turn off my involuntary emotes. Uh, there we go. Okay. I'm going to stop flopping around. I forgot to do that beforehand. Okay. Um, so I'm going to head over. So we're going to meet for those of you who are in game. We're going to meet in Hobbiton. I want to, I want to go, I want to meet right by the Ivy Bush. Um, and yes. Hey, battle priestess. I saw that. Yeah, no, I realized it before. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to interrupt my text discussion to do that then. Okay. Um, all right. So, so let's head off. So we're uh, in the game. We're in Bree here. Um, so you can see this is our is our map of Bree. This is where we are. This is right, right where our new lore hall is going to be when there's the next update. Um, and uh, the Prancing Pony is right up here. Bill Fernie's house is right down here. So the hobbits come in the West Gate. Uh, uh, you know, and when, when they go to the Prancing Pony in the book, right? And then they go out the South Gate uh, here to head off towards... Uh, uh, the Midwater Marshes and everything. This is the um, uh, uh, Strider had been going to take them off through uh, 
uh, Coombe and Archit, right? So here's the larger map out through the Chet Wood and everything. Um, but he, uh, he remember he decided to, he changed his mind because he didn't want to make a big, you know, he want people following them to keep them from trespassing. Uh, so he just went out the south gate and down the road. So anyway, so that's um, uh, that's that's. You can see where we are here in Bree, but we're gonna head off. We're gonna head off to the Shire. Um, so you guys can. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna port there. Um, so you guys can come in and and join me as uh, as quick as you can. Um, I'm just gonna start off by looking around while we're there. I see it's nighttime in game now. Okay. Um, all right. So. Here, oops, and my game just crashed. Yeah, this is, uh, I've been noticing ever since I upgraded to a uh, Sierra operating system, um, uh, Lotro, the Lotro Mac client does not love Sierra. There's uh, something that I hope that they fix there. Whoop, okay. All right, sorry, be back in a second here. I've been definitely having uh, crashy problems. Aerotherate approves of my background. Um, well, let me uh, um, let me pause to, since I have this moment to pause since my game has crashed and I'm rebooting. Um, hang on a second. I'm having rebooting problems here, too. No, no, don't do that. Okay, sorry. Try this again. Um, we have not officially uh toasted the professor uh uh this is the this is the quasca centennial of of uh, tolkien's birth his 125th birthday um so tolkien is even older than bilbo was at his long expected party so it was by the way a pure coincidence um i had been planning to start this class i was and I, I had to do it on tuesday nights just because of my own weekly schedule and i'd planned to start it in january after the new year and then i looked at the calendar and i was like and it's january 3rd which is tolkien's birthday it's like, it is perfect so uh um uh so anyway uh to the professor cheers happy birthday jrr um uh, yeah, I mean, I know I toasted earlier. It's a Tolkien Society tradition to toast at 9 p.m., which is which is which is cool. I gave a brief toast prior to. I just wanted to toast with you guys since we're actually here together. Um, we can we can we can we can carry on toasting. Uh, in fact, you know that like uh, uh, Tolkien himself, if he were uh, if he were at the Burden Baby with his friends, would would toast multiple times. So uh, yeah, anyway, okay, sorry. I'm totally booting the game and not getting distracted or anything. Um, okay. All right. We're getting this. Okay. So as I said, so those of you who are still in game, I hope you're making your way to Hobbiton. Again, I'm going to, I hope milestone directly there. I was interrupted in my milestoning, uh, watch. I'll still be in Bree and, uh, my milestone will be on cooldown. That would be fabulous. Um, but uh, we'll see what we can do. All right. There we go. Okay. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Take me in here. Okay. Expand my window here. Okay. 
Excellent. Okay. Um, very good. I'll see Amy's revenge says there she is. It's uh it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's 20 after nine in your, in your time zone, right? So you must be mountain time zone or in Arizona. Uh, so there you are. Okay. Hey, look, I did make it to the Shire. Not bad. All right. So here we are in Hobbiton. All right. I orient myself. There's the stable master. Okay. So here is downtown Hobbiton. It's not usually this crowded at this time of night. Um, but uh, you can see that Hobbiton, of course, it just means town of hobbits, right? It's from that um, the naming uh, uh, trend that he had in the Shire, uh, or in the Shire, in the Hobbit, um, when he just named things basically common nouns, right? The water, the Shire, or no, he didn't use the Shire. Hobbiton, um, you know, the wood, the hill, all that kind of thing. Um, so this is... Um, <laughs> you got me on follow. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's one way to keep up with me, I guess. So here's the postman over here. Right? There's, there's, there's the mail service, which we know gets a lot of use. Um, this, of course, with the sign, which is harder to see at night, but we can see this side of it, right, is the ivy bush, right? You can tell by the pub sign here, right? Um Standing right outside the ivy bush. And it's funny, people always forget about the, not always, but people often forget about the ivy bush. Like the green dragon is the inn that gets all the press, right? Um, uh, because of the joke that Ted Sandyman makes, right? You know, there's only one dragon, uh, you know, in, in, in Bywater, and that's green, right? Um, but of course, the green dragon is, is in Bywater. In Hobbiton, uh, it's the ivy bush, which is where the gaffer is. And here's Daddy Twofoot, uh, one of the one of the gaffer's interlocutors, who is standing outside. He's got a ring over his head because he has a it's a Yule quest, isn't it? Um, a special quest line for the uh, the Yule festival, which is going on right now, or just at the tail end of it, anyway. Um, so I I love that you know, the, they they rely for Shire stuff a lot on Tolkien's own illustrations. Um, the uh, the the picture of the Hobbit holes and the, the sort of the swoopy ceilings and stuff are derived from Tolkien's drawings, um, and the round windows and round doors they do those uh, they do those all very well set into the side of the hill. Um, but let's um, let's come across and see the party field, and we'll stop along the way because of course what we immediately see by the water here of course is Sandyman's Mill. Um, so if you look at the mill, the mill is not uh, huge. It's not elaborate, right? This is the old mill, of course, uh, before Ted Sandyman is going to tear it down and uh, build a build another and a bigger and a better one, right? You can see how small of an operation this is. There's a, there's, there's a water wheel. Um, but uh, it's, um, it's a small building, right? Um, there's clearly not um, uh, not much room for grinding that much uh, flour inside there, right? It's 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 a really small it, it it's a really small area. So um, you can see how you know how Ted, Ted Sandyman is going to think there's room for improvement, right? Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll get to that we'll get to that later on. But I love the cute old little mill here. Um, I see what this area is. We've got the, this, this wagon here and these other wagons. This is the, uh, um, sort of what, like the shipping area, right? It's just a farmer. 
Um, you know, we've got people storing stuff here, right? Bales and uh, crates and and barrels and stuff. Not usually giant shrews or ghost bears, but uh, uh, this, and of course it's conveniently located right next to the mill because again, people. This is going to be the only mill for quite a ways around. So hobbits and you know hobbit farmers from lots of different areas are going to be bringing in their grain uh, to get milled by the miller. Again, the miller has a monopoly and has uh, can kind of set his terms basically. Um, so that's why we get this kind of like supply depot sort of area. So you can see how they sort of thought it through. What's across the street? Of course, granaries, right? These would be, these would be the granaries where the, uh, the, the grain and flour gets stored. Um, uh, so again, all of these are, are, are sort of buildings that are all connected to, uh, to, to the Sandy, to Sandyman. And again, as we were talking about in the book, you can see how comparatively important, the miller is right. The miller is always an important figure in any sort of village of this kind of technological. So you've got, you know, uh, right down here in the center of town, right where the water goes right through, right, right through the middle here, you've got, you know, the mill, the depot area, the granary, all of this, this is all like Sandyman terrain, right? Whereas bag end is up the hill here, right? So this is the hill that we're on. Um, and, uh, bag end is up the hill and Bagshot row I, I, I love how Bagshot Row is envisioned. I'm sorry. Okay, there we go. Okay. I love how Bagshot Row is envisioned. Um, here, of course, there's, it's, it's, a, it's, this again is, is, it relies upon one of, one of Tolkien's drawings. Um, uh, the famous painting, it's on the front cover of the, of some editions. Of the, I remember it was on uh, the, one of the Ballantine uh, Fellowship of the Ring paperbacks. Uh, when I was in high school, the the light blue Ballantine paperback, not the dark blue one with uh, um, Gandalf at the gates of uh, Moria. Anyway, um, that famous drawing that he made of Hobbiton um, shows back. You can see Bagshot Row. Um, so you're going up the hill towards Bag End, but there's this row of other much smaller, humbler dwellings. You can see these are poor hobbits, right? One door, one window in these little holes that are set into this sort of layer of the hill. So notice also that um, by this logic, the gaffer, whose house this is, of course, we know the gaffer's address, right, is number three Bagshot Row. Uh, so you can see, of course, that they have very carefully made it the, th- the third house from the main road here on Bagshot Row. The gaffer also doesn't usually get this many visitors. But here's number three. So this is, uh, this is Sam's house. Now notice it's, uh, it's, it's slightly fancier than the other one, but still very similar, right? You've got these three holes, uh, you know, all of which... The number two bagshot row is... Uh, I don't know if that's where the Widow Rumble lives, but uh, it's, um, uh, it's got three windows, right? That's... that's, that's that, that that's pretty darn fancy. And where do we see the gaffer? Uh, well, of course, we see him in the middle of a large crowd of people. But there he is, right? Um, no, no, not not him. There he is. There's Gaffer Gamgee, um, gardening, right? Um, and uh, he's got. Notice he has his little garden, his own little garden plot here. He doesn't have an elaborate garden, right? He just. He just grows vegetables in his little vegetable garden here off to the side um, mo- because most of the gardening he has done for others. He has uh, There's an orchard right next to him up over here. If you talk to him in game, he'll give you a quest to collect apples in the orchard, which is right up on the side of the hill over here. Um, 
But uh, but but notice thinking about that conversation now. And again, this is not just how it's depicted in the game. This is based on um, this is based on Tolkien's picture. And if you stand, if you go in the game. And you go into the Shire, and you stand right up there. I almost pointed like that helps. Um, stand right up here. Um, this is where the road, the east-west road, so looking at the Shire map for a second. The road from, Mick, from Mickle Delving then goes up through Waymeet and then straight across the Shire. This is, this is the east road, right? Um, uh, goes through, just, just past Bywater. It doesn't go through Hobbiton. It goes past Bywater uh, and then um, south of... Budgeford through stock across the Brandywine Bridge and out towards Breland. Um, if if you're going on that bridge, that 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 road rather that cuts right up here, right before the sort of swoopy path that comes down here. If you stand right up there and look in the direction of look towards the hill where we're currently standing, um, that view looks a lot like that famous uh, painting that uh, that that Tolkien made. Um, you can see it's really carefully modeled. The the proportions are not exactly the same because uh, Tolkien didn't uh, didn't deliberately didn't always proportion things perfectly. Um, but um, uh, anyway, so uh, so again, so as I said, it's based on Tolkien's own drawings, and so the gaffer lives up here. He's got a decent enough view, right? Um, but what does he what does he see? He looks over Sandyman, <laughs> right? The granary, the mill, the supply depot, right? Um, uh, and the water. He's, uh, he's, he's not just a neighbor of Sandyman, um, but he lives very close to him, right? Well, let's carry on up the hill. Let's, let's go around. I want to I cut straight up. Um, let's go around and go into the party field um, as it was described there in chapter one. So here's the main path up the hill, up towards Overhill. And again, this Shire map is very close to the map that Tolkien included, of course, in The Fellowship of the Ring. Um, they've, they've imitated that really uh, clearly, and I love the fact every single place that gets named on the map, they've put into the game, so you can actually go and explore all of those places. Um, and here is the gate. Now, it's not white, but... Um, a lot of time has passed. Chronologically speaking, the game takes place right after the time when Frodo has left. Um, in fact, if you if you've never played Lotro before, when you start playing the game, the very the first sequence that you if you play a Hobbit, the first sequence that you see is uh, you're walking down the road uh, at night, and then you see Frodo and Pippin and Sam coming the other way in the Three's Company chapter. So Three's Company is the chronological moment in the story where the game literally um, literally begins, right? So chronologically, this is not at the same time as chapter one. So we're going to, we'll, we'll definitely notice some differences, but again, those are differences that they have thought about. This seems to be the gate. Now, look at this gate as they've made it. This isn't a gate in the sense of being a door. There isn't even a door. All it is is a gateway, right? This fence is not designed to keep anything in, right? It's just designed to kind of mark the entrance, just as the arch itself, the gate itself, marks the entrance. This looks exactly like a gate that was built um, in order to have a place for Bilbo to stand, right? Presumably he stood right over here, 
right? While the the guests came and passed through the gate to get their presents. And of course, you can also see how easy it would be uh, to go out and come in again and get a second present. Notice how the uh, the logs are the the wood is split. This is an old gate. You know, this is a this is a seventeen year old wooden gate. It hasn't been painted in a long time. It's got like moss growing on it. Uh, and as I said, the, the, the wood is all checked and weathered um, on both the posts, the post of the gate and of the fence itself. Right. So this is the old gate, but it's still there. Right. The gate that was put up on the party field has never been taken away. And you can see, remember the, the nostalgia with which Sam looks at the party tree and the party field. Right. Um, it is clear that that moment, the moment of Bilbo's party, uh, you know, didn't just sort of take a. Uh, take its place in local legend, right? It became a, 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 a really important, um, and when we, it was it was preserved, right? And that's why Sam finds it so shocking when the party tree is cut down, right? Um, but uh, now, good. Now, Bialver asks, what what about the lamp posts? Um, I think there would have been lamp posts. I think. Um, there would have been lights because we know that the party went on long after dark, right? I mean, the fireworks um, were happening at dusk and that was, um, that was, you know, uh, nothing like the end of the party, right? The, the, the big dinner hadn't even uh, happened yet. So, um, um, yeah, yeah. Good, good, excellent. Uh, uh, Gravity is saying that during the fireworks before the dragon, it was said the lights went out. Yes, yeah, so the, the, there definitely were lights. So again, these seem to be, I would imagine, posts which were used, um, possibly erected in Bilbo's time. Um, I got the sights of the Shire deed. Actually, yeah, you guys have a good idea. Let me, let me, let me, let me come up on the rock here with you guys. There we go. All right. Um, to see the, to see the party. Now, um, as one of you was pointing out, there's a major difference between this and notice that it's set up for a party, right? We've got streamers, we've got pavilions around and everything. Um, but it doesn't look like the description in chapter one. It's because it's not, it's not that party, right? This isn't Bilbo's party. It's 17 years after Bilbo's party, right? So, um, what we're told, again, if you if you if you do the local quests around here when you're playing the game in the Shire, you'll know. And, and those of you who have watched my Grifflet stream will remember Grifflet did this uh, quest line: Lobelia, Sackville Baggins, who of course has taken over Bag End because it's Chapter Three of the Fellowship of the Ring time, right? Uh, so the Sackville Bagginses have moved in to Bag End, and she's throwing a party, and she's clearly competing with Bilbo. Right, she went now that she is the Baggins of Bag End. Right, she is um, uh, wanting to sort of assert her. Um, she's clearly competing with the memory of Bilbo. Right, um, Bilbo has this reputation for generosity. Everyone is still talking about his his story. She clearly wants to supplant it. 
I guess, supplant that memory. So she's throwing a party in the party field. So this is the preparation for Lobelia's party. Not in the story, of course. Um, uh, Lotro is here filling in blanks. We don't have any idea exactly what Lobelia gets up to. Um, But I think it's very interestingly and plausibly thought out. Again, it's one of the things that makes Lotro such a fun adaptation is, of course, they have lots of freedom to make lots of stuff up because, of course, you know, we know the story as Tolkien told it, but there's enormous areas, both geographically and story-wise, around the plot line that Tolkien follows that we don't know about. Um, but So it's not only how faithfully they depict the things that Tolkien does talk about that impresses me so much about Lodro. I uh, really love the, uh, the imagining that they have done um, because the kinds of things that when they do make stuff up, which is often, because they have to make stuff up, um, they're very good at making up things that are both plausible, intrinsically plausible within the world that Tolkien made, but also even picking up on elements of the story that, uh, um, that again, are not, are not there, but are kind of bringing in themes and things from other, from other stories and, and parts. We know that Lobelia is, uh, was a longtime rival, right? Otho and, uh, Otto and Lobelia were, were, were longtime rivals of Bilbo's. Um, so, uh, this is, uh, uh, to me, very plausible that their reaction to that would, well, not there, although it's dead, but uh, Lobelia's reaction to that um, would be uh, uh, um, would be to, uh, to, to want to upstage him, right? But, but notice she's not. As several of you have pointed out, uh, the tree, the party tree, was in the middle of the pavilion, right? The, 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 the pavilion that Bilbo made was so huge that the tree was inside it, right? So you imagine this field with a tent so big that that tree was inside it. Now, it was 17 years ago, but in the life of that tree, 17 years was not that long ago. I doubt it was much smaller 17 years before uh, than, uh, uh, than, than it is now, Um how did he do that? Why is it that Bilbo could have such a very big tent and Lobelia doesn't have such a very big tent? Um, and my answer to that, and again, I, this is one of the things that I think is really interesting, really, really well thought through uh, by, uh, by the Lotra folks. Um, remember that um, Bilbo had help. He had all those outlandish people coming to help him. Um, uh, exactly, Bielver. He had dwarf carnies. That's exactly what he had. Uh, he had dwarves uh, and possibly elves, but definitely dwarves coming and helping him set up. I am total. I am. Uh, I would. I would bet anything that it was the dwarves who erected the pavilion, um, and that they were like, "We're going to make the biggest." Whereas she doesn't have that kind of help, right? Um, so what we have is kind of a, a, a sort of a lame memory, a lame imitation in the end of, uh, of, Bilbo's, um, of Bilbo's party. And the only things that are like specially cool about it, even notice the streamers, even the streamers are themselves just kind of a memory of the, the lantern hung, uh, uh, you know, lines and the... the inside the pavilion. It's like, so if you stand here and you kind of look at the streamers, you can kind of imagine a pavilion. And my game just crashed again. Good grief. 
I think it's not liking the crowd, uh, but that's okay. Um, I can uh, I can start up again, but um, but anyway, I'll carry on talking while I do that. Um, so yeah, again, it's 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 like the faded memory of a party, but not um, not a real uh, 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 you know not the not the reality of it. Um, and I think that that's. It's really, and first of all, it's a, it was a really interesting move on um, on the Lotro people's part in the first place to even have Lobelia in that kind of a competition with Bilbo, or rather, a competition in that way. They could just as easily, possibly even more easily, have decided to make Lobelia such a such a fuddy duddy, right? That she would have you know, no truck with the kind of shenanigans that mad old Bilbo uh, used to get up to. Um, but they don't do that with her. And I find that, um, I find that a really, a really fascinating touch because, um, and to me that seems, um, that seems very, very fitting um, that they would, um, that they would make the, um, Lobelia, on the one hand, despised Bilbo for, like, being who he is and doing what he does, and yet when he leaves, they try to imitate him, right? That, again, that seems to me really right. I, I think they've really kind of pegged Lobelia and who she is and what, uh, and what she does. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, good. Um, okay, all right, so as what I was going to say here before... Uh, I went link dead was where are we over here? The most impressive. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I think all the, I, I, I'm, I've learned a lesson here, which is that, um, I need to moderate my graphics when we do the crowd. Say I'm, I'm learning things here again, as I said at the beginning, thank you for being patient with me here. Um, but, um, Anyhow, yeah, so, um, uh, oh, by the way, kudos to John Ostglass, the, another great screen name. Uh, I know what that one, I have no doubts about what that one is a reference to. Um, uh, but I love J- John Ostglass and the sort of the, the myth of John Ostglass is my favorite part of that, uh, of that book. Um, uh, 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 Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, uh, of course, I mean, for those of you who don't know it, um, I did a whole, what, 14 week? 15-week uh, Mythgard Academy series on Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And I had never read it before. It got, it got elected um, by our voters. So uh, I was really, uh, I was really, really happy uh, to get to know it. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, as I said, I, I, I think they do, um, they do a great job with, with Lobelia. That, that does really strike me um, as just the way that, that she would be. Okay. All right. Let me... Hang on, let me look at my graphic settings before I go in here. I want to do... Um, which is the setting I want to change? I know this is like super gripping, isn't it? Um, player crowd quality. Low. Okay. Okay, um, 
Oh, good, John. You, uh, John, John, I just called you John for short. M- Mr. Uskloss, I should say. Uh, you just went through the lectures while reading the books. Good, good. I had so much fun with that. Um, okay. All right. Um, all right. Post-processing. Okay, hang on, hang on. I'll do that, too. So, wait. Post-processing. Advanced graphics. Post-processing. Where was it? Okay, redrawing. All right. Okay. Excellent. We'll try that. See if we end up getting a little more stable here. Um, Fewer flame and frost effects might not hurt anybody either. What I was in the middle of saying twice when I crashed, the most impressive part of the field as it exists in the game is this area, right? Um, Which is obviously not a makeshift thing. Right, uh, and this, of course, is described in the books. This is Bilbo's, right? The huge open air kitchen, um, and I love the idea that the huge open air kitchen. <laughs> I shouldn't have tried to expand the screen. Never mind, forget it. I we saw it there briefly, and I'm about to finish anyway, so I'm not going to waste more time logging back in. As I was saying, the huge open air kitchen is a feature of Bilbo's original party, and it's still there. And I love the idea of how. Um, not only that it's still there and in good working order after 17 years, but there's the obvious sense that they've built there in the game that they're used a lot, right? That, like, Bilbo has maintained... He didn't just tear down the huge open-air kitchen that he made in the party party field after the party, but that it has remained as a kind of, like, big, huge neighborhood communal kitchen. Um, And I think that's really cool. I I, I really... That's sort of the impression that the visuals there in the game give me. And uh, and I think it's really neat, and it seems to me very fitting um, with Bilbo's character as we learn about it, that uh, that he's created this space where all any hobbits from anywhere around can come and cook, uh, and I think that that's really uh, uh, that's really fun. Um, okay, however, I can see that uh, uh, my uh, my system is gently trying to tell me that it's time to let you guys go. Um, I'm uh, I'm 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 a little bit. Um, uh, over time here tonight that also is not enormously shocking or out of character uh thanks everybody for bearing with uh, uh issues here in the um uh in our first time through it went relatively smoothly uh so uh so that's all right but anyway thanks everybody for for joining me um i have re- i'm i'm i am so looking forward to this i hope you guys are uh are, are going to be able to be patient with my glacial pace through the book, but you can see the kind of uh, the kind of conversations that I really want to have, the kind of reading that I really love doing. Um, so, uh, uh, so anyway, thanks very much, everybody. Next week, same time, Tuesday, nine thirty p.m. Eastern time. We'll pick back up. We'll start in paragraph one of chapter one and and, and go on through. Uh, we'll have at least one week. Uh, maybe two, who knows, uh, more still on chapter one before we move on. Oh, thank you, Bialver, for reminding me. Next week, um, in-game I'm going to be rotating. Now, if you're not in the game, don't worry about it. Um, but uh, 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 let me explain. Um, Lotra has a bunch of different servers because there are too many people playing it all to be on the one server, so it's divided up among a whole bunch of different servers. I'm going to be rotating through different servers Um not every week, but um, different kinships of people in the game are going to be kind of sponsoring uh, different um, uh, different sessions. We started off with the the Mythgard kinship, 
uh, here on Landreval, which is sort of my home server. Uh, I'll probably be on Landreval more more often than on any other server, but not exclusively. So next week, I'm going to be on Crick Hollow. Um, the uh, same location, everything is, should be should look exactly the same. If you're not in the game, you won't notice the difference. But uh, um, but we'll be on Crick Hollow next week. Same time, uh, same Twitch channel, everything will be the same. Different server in-game, so if you want to join me in-game, uh, go to... Uh, go to, to, to the lower hall and hopefully the lower hall will be up by next week I have my fingers uh, uh, crossed there um, but, uh, but anyway we'll see one way or the other, either in the courtyard or, or, or in the lower hall see you on Crick Hollow next week um, and thanks for joining me everybody good night see you next week